We dedicate this episode of Did You Hear to award winners. From Bram Stoker to William Allen White award winners, you'll find it all at jocolibrary.org slash explore. Today, we recommend cures for book burnout, and we offer board game suggestions. But first, Kate McNair brings teen writers and artists to talk with Dave Carson about our teen zine, Elementia. Your fingers fly across black and white keys like sparrows, rhythms of muscle memory echoing across the tabletops. Inside, you are wells of blue deeper than the Mariana Trench, clouded over with gray brushstrokes where smears of lavender used to be, and a burning star once glowed. The distance between us is fraught with fault lines, where we once found patches of sunlight to curl up in. We spilled creativity like overturned vases, your voice gliding through the air, clear and pure, and mine hidden in stacks of manuscripts, both of us scattering lilacs across the floor. I would trace your pen strokes, heart lifting, and you would trace constellations on my skin. The patchwork of your soul grows frayed and threadbare, puzzle pieces forced together and weighted with expectation, stitches rewritten with a violent fist when braiding violet flowers into your hair fits so much better. But the day you take flight with Icarus's wings, the day you kiss the sun, I'll look to the ground, waiting for lavender to bloom again. This is the Did You Hear podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson County Library, where we talk about what we recommend and what's happening. And today we talk about Elementia. Kate McNair's with us today. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dave. What is Elementia? Elementia is the Johnson County Library's teen literary magazine. We've been publishing for about 13 years and we're about to launch our 16th issue. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Also, um, how did you make your voice sound so different in the beginning when you read that poem? Uh, I am multi-talented and that I know really talented teenagers who write excellent poetry. So that was actually Bloom by Elizabeth Joseph, who is here with us today, one of our editors and a poet and a designer as well. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. And who else do we have with us today? Isabel Schachtman, another one of our poets and editors. Hi, Isabel. Hello. So, uh, both of you are involved with Elementia. Uh, you write, do you any, what else do you do for Elementia? I'm on the teen editing committee. So yes, I write and I rank all the submissions and I read them and discuss them with my peers and then eventually choose which ones will be published in our magazine. And I do what Isabel does for both writing and art. Um, in addition to looking at writing and also submitting my own poetry, I look at artwork that people have submitted and pick which ones I think, and my team as well, think would fit best with certain pieces on the page. Well, so that sounds like it may or may not be a ton of work. How many uh, different submissions did you receive this year? We had over 800 submissions between writing and art. So it is no small task what these two took on. Collectively, our committee of, uh, I think, 12 or 13 editors um, contributed about 700 hours to the library to make this magazine happen. Wow. So how hard of a job is that to pick and choose what what makes it, or does everything make it into Elementia? Um, Definitely not everything. Um, I we would have, say we have oh, about a fifteen ex, uh, percent acceptance rate. Oh yes, so really not everything. Wow, yeah. mm-hmm. which is the same as Johns Hopkins University. Coincidentally, <laughs> 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 okay. we're very prestigious. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah, I would say it's a pretty diff- difficult task. I think with art, often 
whenever I've done two issues designing and with both issues, I've texted our group chat of designers and said I know nothing about art and begged them to help me figure out what criteria I want to use to pick things out. And with writing, I think I, I know a little bit more about writing, but I, there's definitely a difficult balance between trying to figure out what makes the work really good and also being responsible and making sure that we're picking a diversity of voices and a diversity of ages to represent and also being careful because some of those pieces are very raw and authentic and we don't want to put something that could hurt somebody else or might come out prematurely if that person is expressing some part of themselves that they may not want necessarily published on a page. Wow, so a, a lot of thought goes into kind of picking and choosing what goes into Elementia. What about time? How much time have you devoted to this? I think collectively I've spent about probably 60 hours total in meetings, conversations, and just reading through the submissions, being on the editorial committee, yeah. Wow, and do you find it rewarding? Oh, for sure. Um, Isabel, do you want to? Definitely, yeah. It's my first year. I know Elizabeth has done um, the elementary committees for multiple years in the past. And I'd say it's super rewarding just to see a piece that you really believe in or even your own pieces just pass on to the final rounds and then see them in the magazine next to art. And um, But the editorial committee, along with the committee that chooses the art, does it's really important. We work together and just seeing the pieces with a piece of art next to them, it's really important, I think, and beautiful to see that. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like an incredibly valuable experience. Do you feel like you've gained a number of skills through this? Oh, for sure on my part. Um, I have some degree of experience with Creative Cloud because I'm in newspaper at my school, but to no extent did what I have already encompass everything I needed to know to be able to design a page on Elementia. I've had numerous meetings with Kate and Cassandra trying to figure out what the best way to Photoshop a certain picture is or cropping things, um, making sure it looks aesthetically pleasing on a page. And that doesn't even touch on the amount of skills I've learned when it comes to analyzing and looking at writing and realizing that just because I like something doesn't mean that that thing is necessarily good and I might hate this piece but it might be flawless and it because I hate it there's something possibly valuable there and it's worth examining everything. So tell me what was this year's theme for Elementia? This year's theme was breaking free and when we said breaking free we meant breaking free from stereotypes, breaking free from tradition, really breaking free from anything that meaningful to the person. So how would you say that the work that you have produced represents that theme? Um, my, I have two pieces in the magazine. So for me personally, the poem I read earlier, Bloom, was about waiting for someone else to break free and hopefully helping somebody else break free. And then my other piece is about, uh, it's called Reclamation, and it's basically somebody wanting to give up their wings for a, for a life on the ground, which in a way is a sort of breaking free from yourself to be another person. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah, so my piece is... Um, mine are, have a lot to do with breaking free from my own kind of emotional self. So um, I have some breaking free from stereotypes and family tradition, and a lot of it's kind of a self, a self um, identification type thing in breaking free. Sure. And so all of the work that you've done, um, do you feel like reading the work of other people helps you in your own writing and your own creativity? Um, for me, for sure. I know that a lot of the relationships gained through Elementia have been really instrumental to both 
understanding other people's work and also my own. Um, and there, I think Elementia is kind of a haven for slam poets in particular because we publish a lot of slam, whether you know our editorial committee knows that it is slam when we're looking at it on the page or not. And so in that sense, like I've not really been exposed to slam outside of Elementia. And so seeing that on the page and kind of being able to hear that cadence inside my head and seeing this other angle to what makes poetry really, really good has been instrumental to my development as a writer. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then also choosing pieces for Elementia is a very conversational task. So not only has it helped me kind of discover other types of art that I've never been exposed to, but also analyzing work in ways that I haven't analyzed it before and hearing other perspectives. Mm -hmm. And that goes for me with art too. I didn't even mention designing, but um, because I love art, but I wouldn't say that I'm a graphic designer first. And so being on the editorial or the design committee as well um, has been really helpful to understand both other people's definitions of art because sometimes I will be looking at a thing and I have no idea why it's good because it's not my traditional like I have a very traditional art background so it's not what I would necessarily see as super talented but then hearing like the opinions of the other designers and understanding their points of view on something that I might not necessarily get right away is really helpful. Where does your experience in Elementia rank in uh, the long list of accomplishments and experiences that you've had in your high school career. I definitely say, I mean, I've been involved in school activities, I'm on yearbook and everything, but Elementia has been my number one most favorite thing I've done so far. And it, my writing career so far has been an extremely personal kind of journey. And it's been amazing to connect with people my age that feel such a personal connection to writing and art in the way that I do. Mm -hmm. I agree with Isabel on that one. Actually, on my resume, it's number one. Mm -hmm. It's at the very top um, in the service category. We got, we got to be organized here. But um, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think um, I know Isabel said she was on your book and I mentioned I was on journalism, but and uh, there are definitely other things that I participate in that hypothetically would give me similar experiences to what Elementia does. But really, nothing can replace Elementia and nothing has taught me so much and yet made me so humble at the same time as being on the committee. So unequivocally, you would recommend this to <laughs> your For peers. sure. Most definitely, yeah. yeah. All right. And Kate, if uh, people want to uh, get involved with Elementia, what, what do you recommend? Well, uh, the first thing would be going to our website, jocolibrary.org slash Elementia. You can find our application there, and it also tells you more about what those job duties look like. If you're like, well, I want to edit the magazine, but I don't know exactly what that means, we will tell you exactly what you can expect, what that time commitment is going to look like, and we'll also help you build those skills. If this is the first time that you've worked on an editorial staff or the first time you've worked on designing a magazine, we'll work with you to try and give you the skills that you need um, to be the best committee member that you can be. Because um, we want to really help uplift voices of people who might not have had that opportunity to do this work before. What is the timeline for Elementra? When does Elementra the magazine drop? It comes out Friday, April 26th at our reception party. It will Excellent. be at the Central Resource Library. It's after hours, so the rest of the library is closed for our big gala. Fantastic. And from 6 to 8, we'll have music and food, and we'll begin with readings. And then the evening will be capped by a keynote speech from National Ambassador for Young People's Literature and National Book Award winner Jacqueline Woodson. 
And it's not just reading, but uh, I noticed that the gallery space at yes. the Central Resource Library has been overwhelmed with beautiful <laughs> art. Yes, and, and we'll have an Elementia exhibit up in the Central Resource Library uh, from right now um, until May 20th. And then issues of the magazine are given out that night. They will also be available at all Johnson County Library locations starting uh, Saturday, April 27th. And how many years has Elementia been around? It started in 2005. So I guess we're actually at year 14, which is unbelievable. Wow. I know. Well, congratulations. It's a wonderful publication. Thank you both for coming today to share uh, your experience with Elementia. And once again, the reception is... Friday, April 26th from 6 to 8 at the Central Resource Library. And we hope to see you there. You know, Johnson County Library gives you so many ways to explore our catalog. Find something new. Find something good. How do you know you can find something that's a sure thing? Here's a little secret. Go to jocolibrary.org explore and click on awards in the left-hand column. Welcome back to the Did You Hear podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson County Library, where we not only tell you what's happening, but what we recommend. And today, we're going to later recommend some board games, but first, we're going to talk about book burnout. And to do that, we have people that are experts on book burnout. I'm hoping that's true. Uh, to my <laughs> left is... My name is Greg Windsor, officially with the Johnson County Library. And what do you do? I'm a reference librarian specializing in reader's advisory. And to my right? And I'm Heba Amin Headley. I'm an information specialist also at Johnson County Library. And uh, I basically cover the desk and talk to people about what they're reading and make recommendations. Well, let's talk about reading. This sounds like such a fascinating topic, <laughs> book burnout. It is a thing, surprisingly okay. enough, that even though we work at a library and are surrounded by books and DVDs and CDs uh, every day. There is such a thing as being burnt out by, by reading too much. And Heba, uh, what can you tell us about your experiences about being uh, in the throes, in the depths of book burnout? Book so burnout. I actually just went through this recently. Um, we had a staff reading challenge of reading middle grade and young adult stuff. And sure. I got a little competitive. Um, especially at the end and I was just like every minute I was reading and then after it ended on March 1st I just put my book down and I said that's it I'm Walk done away. and it was probably a good week or two before I was ready to look at another book again <laughs> that's so funny I won for my branch by the way <laughs> oh good job <laughs> very nice so you're but, competitive and a winner okay yeah that's great well I'm curious just how, how many uh, do you do go by pages or books? We counted both. Okay. Um, I think I ended up at 70-something books and about 12,000 pages, 11,000 pages, something in that neighborhood. Wow. So lots of kids' books. I'm a lot more comfortable on that desk now, so <laughs> that was the purpose. Okay. But wow. And you have noticed that even the volume that uh, librarians are sometimes expected to plow through or put expectations on themselves, right? We're supposed to be book experts. And that pressure to kind of to uh, to kind of come up with the new the new cool thing or the new mm -hmm. bestseller is actually kind of pressure on its own, right? Yeah, and, and it makes it worse when you don't feel like reading because it's it's not just that you don't as a person feel like reading because that's something you enjoy, but your job is living and breathing books and you're not engaging that anymore. Sure. So. 
And also people who, who don't necessarily work at the library maybe don't have a whole lot of time, maybe between their job or, or kids or, or, uh, or hobbies on their own. Maybe they just have a, a couple of hours or two a week to grab mm-hmm. a book. And if nothing's working for them, if nothing uh, other people are recommending to them is really, really uh, you know, getting them sucked in, getting them involved, what would you recommend to readers to kind of break their reading slump and get something that they really enjoy? So um, I have a couple tactics for that with limited reading time or limited attention span. Um, And one of those is finding something quick. Hmm. Um, We haven't, we're in a time where we're getting more novellas published and they're usually around 100 pages or so. Something you can feel really good about knocking out quickly. Um, I read a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, so Tor is a publisher that's putting out a lot of these right now, um, including a series called The Wayward Children Novellas. Oh yes, by, by Shauna McGuire. McGuire. Mm-hmm. Fabulous stuff. They're these. Um, f- they deal with f- portal fantasy, which is characters who go off to another world, except it picks up with them coming back to this one and having difficulty adjusting to it. Huh. Um, and, and they have some of the most beautiful prose that I've read in a while. Huh. And you said these are pretty short books. So. Yeah, they're about 100 pages a piece. The first one is Every Heart a Doorway. Um, it's a, you can read them in any order. I think it's a really good starting place, though, because it, esta- it introduces the characters and gives you the concept of these are kids who have come back from other worlds. And I love the idea of these being short books that don't inquire a heavy involvement, especially if you don't have very much time. You can mm-hmm. kind of pick them up and, and, and kind of carry them with you so you're not lugging along 17 books of the new fantasy series along with you. You can take these with you wherever you go. You could read them and then you mm-hmm. can jump back into something else. And there are about four or five of them out mm-hmm. now. So you can binge a whole bunch of them if you you find that those work and then you have to wait for the wait for them after that like the rest of us of course yeah so what else do you think would be would be good for someone who maybe is not a a big fantasy reader but still wants to get kind of a jump into part of those types of uh types of things um young adult books are another really good one um young adult book isn't one genre it's a multitude of genres written for a demographic that is very busy with school and jobs and the internet and homework. The um, classic overscheduled teen. And also, right. yeah, because they are you are competing with Netflix and Hulu and Spotify and a million other things. Yeah, so but young adult books, they don't waste any time getting you into this story. Like yes. almost from page one, you are in it. There's a character you can be really invested in. There's something interesting with the setting. There's a dramatic situation. There's something that grabs you there. What kind of YA books have you been reading recently that you think would fit the bill? Um, so my title I had prepared for you was another fantasy one, just because that is what I was reading. But um, Lainey Taylor has a trilogy called Daughter of Smoke and Bone, and it starts off in Prague following this kind of mysterious art student, and then it quickly escalates into a another world with angels and demons who have been at war with each other for years at that point and there's a love story tied up with it and like I have a really bad habit of wandering away from series and I just like knocked those books out back to back and just couldn't stop um one of them I listened to on audio it was a very good audiobook um read by uh I don't remember the narrator's name but she's Russian and she had just this little bit of a, an accent which kind of added to that experience 
Um, if you're into a book slump, uh, sometimes changing formats is a nice mm-hmm. way of changing it up. So if you read sure. books, maybe uh, downloading an audio book or, or, or popping in a CD or something along those lines to kind of change up that format. Yeah. I always like to uh, either recommend uh, either a romance, a mm-hmm. thriller, or horror, uh, because yeah. those three genres really tend to sink their teeth into you early to really emotionally hook you and get you going. Um, a good horror novel, or excuse me, a good thriller novel really doesn't waste a lot of time building things up before it, it sinks its teeth in and, and mm-hmm. pulls you along with the ride. Uh, those are always great recommendations yeah. for folks too. And you mentioned romances. That's actually another go-to that I have, um, particularly if my burnout is due to stress, because mm-hmm. uh, one of the built-in features of a romance is that it is going to end happily. No matter what those characters go through, it'll be okay in the end. Um, so one that got me out of a rut was called Hate to Want You by Alicia Rye. Um, it is a contemporary romance featuring two kind of star-crossed lovers who um, were broken up by a family feud. And it is borderline soap opera-ish, but I could not get enough of so it. So kind of a Montague Capulet, Romeo, Julia mm-hmm. type of vibe, but they have to come, they uh, they have one, they spend one night a year together, yes. right? Yes, yeah. And then at one point, one of them breaks their, their rule, mm-hmm. and the other one has to go and follow up and find out why. And, yeah. it, and they're back in the same town, and now they're thrown together again. Yes. Um, it, they're, they're fairly on the steamy side of things, but... Um, I could not put it down. Like I was just like, "Oh, there's another family secret. What's, what's going to happen next?" So steamy romances are another good way of getting you, uh, getting you out of your slump and getting you back into turning pages. Or whatever your comfort level of romance is. There, there are tamer ones out there if you don't want to dive in the deep end. That's fair enough. Do you want to leave us with one more? The book that you've been, uh, you've been reading recently that you think that would be good for, uh, for breaking a slump. Um, Actually, one of the ones I'm reading recently is a historical fiction. It's called The Familiars, and I believe the author is Stacy Hall on that. Tell us us about that one. It is a historical fiction set in the 17th century in Pendle, England, when apparently they had a witch scare. So it it starts with the main character. um, She's a young wife. I think she's like 18, and she is on her fourth pregnancy and mm-hmm. has just found a note from the doctor telling her husband she shouldn't have another try for another kid or she's going to die. Ooh. Um, so she goes and enlists the service of a midwife. And if you know anything about the history of witch hunts, midwives and women who helped other women and were involved with medicine were kind of prime target for that. Sure. So I have just hit the point where um, they have come to arrest her midwife and... Um, I don't know what happens next. Oh, so. okay. But you'll be turning pages. I will be turning pages. <laughs> wow. So, you know, so many uh, kids are going to be getting out of school very soon. And talk about burnout. You you don't get to choose oftentimes what you mm-hmm. what oh, get yeah, to read. Well, yeah. And, and uh, sometimes your love of reading can be kind of squashed a little bit. But mm-hmm. what what should you jump into that's a little bit more fun uh, to get your summer reading going? And, and I should mention our summer reading theme. It's uh, space. Space. Yeah, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of your local librarians. No, I'm teasing. 
But what, uh, whenever you do get that over cr- that that kind of crushing responsibility of summer reading that really kind of uh, kind of drags you down, even if even at the best of assigned reading it has that bit of obligation to it. It's I run that in, I run into that with book clubs when people get assigned books. It's kind of different than choosing something of sure. their own free will, and it has that kind of burden of responsibility right. that comes with it. So I encourage people whenever they they're looking for something to kind of free them from responsibility and. And giving people the opportunity to bail on a book sure. that's not working for them is a big deal. My, I know several people in my own life who feel that they have to plunge through a book that's just not working for sure. them, that they have to finish. Oh, oh it'll turn around. It'll, right. it'll finally redeem itself by the end. And then you realize you're kind of uh, at page 200 or 250 <laughs> of the slog, and you're, you're not getting any enjoyment out of it at all. My reading life actually improved greatly when I realized that I didn't have to finish a book that wasn't doing it for me. So yes. I give mm-hmm. things about 50 pages mm-hmm. now. Yep. And if if it's not working, it's out. Yeah, 50 pages is a good a good rule of thumb. If it's not doing it for you, bail and move on. So it may not even have to be a book. Um, I have found that with a lot of board games, you get the, the narrative uh, going. You, you often have a lot of different reading. There's characters involved. And no better time to bring in a gaming expert. Here's Josh Neff. Hi. <clears throat> I don't know if I call myself an expert. Have but, you been here the entire time? Um, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Josh just I don't. I don't lurk. <laughs> that's that's a myth that I'd like to quash. So, we have uh, we host a, a board gaming night here at the library, right? We have four going on right now every month. Good um, attendance. Yes, we. Well, sometimes if the weather's bad and we have sometimes <laughs> been cursed with bad weather. If there's going to be bad weather in winter, it will happen on a game night. Sure. And if it, there's going to be bad weather in summer, it will happen on a game night. But usually we get anywhere from 10 to 30, I think, in Antioch. They've even gotten close to 50 people. Wow. Um, Antioch, well, we started at the Lackman Library. Okay. Outgrew the meeting room there. Moved to the Antioch Library, which has a much bigger meeting room. Sure. And then... That built up enough of an attendance that we were able to gauge that maybe we should be doing it at other libraries. So wow. now, Josh, if uh, no one has been f- familiar with our board game nights, how does how does it work? What does it happen right. when you, have you go to there? Supply your own games, or are the games provided. Okay, it's super easy. All you have to do is show up. Okay. We have the library has built up a really sizable collection of games, so we currently have. We have one set of kind of standard games that get played a lot sure. um, or are good intros into if you're not familiar with current tabletop games, which are often very, very different from what are considered the family classics, sure, like right. Monopoly, Risk, um, Clue. Um, these tend to be, there are often more rules and it can sometimes seem complicated to get into them, right. but once you start playing, they it's really easy to fall into. Catan's a good example. Settlers right? of Catan is good. Um, 
Ticket to Ride is a really good one that when you're trying to explain it to people, sure, well, you're building great. these rail lines across the country and you've got these destination cards and you've got these ticket cards and right. you have to collect these different colors. It sounds really complicated. But once you Two start Two or three playing. rounds in, you've got it. Right, right. Um, so you don't have to bring your own games. We do have people who do bring their own games. Sure. That's pretty great. Uh, it allows us to try out new games that maybe the library hasn't been able to purchase or those of us who run the tabletop games haven't gotten to purchase for ourselves. Um, although we all tend to get games for ourselves because that's how we roll. I did not mean to do that pun. I, uh, I'm not apologizing and, and for it. that's how slow I am. It's like, oh, yeah. That sorry, was not true. sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can. all you have to do is show up. And it's all ages. So you can bring little kids. You can bring teens. You can be adults and show up. Um, and we currently do it at the Antioch Library first Thursday of the month, uh, Blue Valley Library the second Wednesday of the month, Monticello at the third Thursday of the month, and Gardner, I want to say the third Saturday, but I'm it's on a Saturday. Sure, and if we need to, if, if anyone needs to check to make sure that everything's correct, uh, you can go to our website, jocolibrary.org, go to the events section, and just search for uh, tabletop games, and uh, you'll find all the listings for all the locations with the times. Feel free to fact check me. Josh. <laughs> Josh. Yes. I have a question for you. Okay. And because what I do is reader's advisory. So if someone comes to me and says, you know, I want a fantasy novel that has these types of characters and this type of story, I right. usually go out and have to find something for them. I supply them with what they want. If someone were to come to board game night, I mean, would, it, would it be okay if I threw out a couple of scenarios to you and you suggest board games based on that scenario, just oh. like reader's advisory? It's like we're playing a game. Exactly. Go for it. Okay, cool, cool. So let's just say that I have actually, in, uh, I am a dad of two, two boys, uh, one 11, one, in, one seven. If I were to bring them to game nights looking to play for something, what would you recommend as a good family game to get started? Um, there are some of the, I guess what are now considered the contemporary classics like Settlers of Catan, um, Ticket to Ride, that have junior versions that are slightly easier for younger kids to get into uh -huh. um, or for maybe an 11 year old who isn't familiar with a lot of the tabletop games those could be easy ways in although even some of them it's uh, like Dave was saying they're not you know you can pretty much pick up Settlers of Catan fairly easily um, sometimes there are for families if your kids are competitive, I would say stuff like Ticket to Ride or Settlers of Catan, because uh, Munchkin's also a good one that's pretty easy. It's kind of cartoonish Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Um, and the rules are pretty simple, and it's v very competitive. Mm. Um, I would say it's like a much shorter version of the chance of monopoly or risk tearing a family or sure. a group of friends apart. Sure. Munchkin's kind of like that. Okay. Um, so if your kids are competitive, Munchkin's a good one to start with. If they're not, or if you want to do family togetherness, there are some um, collaborative games where everyone's on the same side. Right. Uh, Pandemic yeah. is one that can be complicated, mm -hmm. um, but there are games like that that are uh, 
where everybody's on the same team. Forbidden Island is probably a little easier than you Pandemic. Know, an easy one for just about anybody to pick up that is a cooperative game is called The Mind. Have you played this? No. It has really simple rules where you're given a hand. Each round you get an extra card. But mm -hmm. basically, you're just trying to lay down your card in sequence as one mind, one group of people. And as soon as somebody puts one um, out of order, then the game stops and you can lose points as a team. But it's just, I've got, I've got a four. Do I put it down now? Does somebody have one that's lower than a four? No, I'm okay. And then somebody puts down an eight and then so, a 16, 24, so you're saying all the way up to a hundred. It's a cooperative game until someone messes up and then everyone <laughs> yells at that person and then you can just keep on going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I have played some um, collaborative cooperative games that can get like that also. Um, but for the, for the most part, I do like, I'm a fan of the cooperative games because I'm not very competitive by nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it's kind of fun to actually talk with the other, instead of hiding, you know, keeping your cards close to your chest and mm -hmm. you're, you're actually saying, Hey, I've got this. Who's got so this? So you're strategizing as the game goes on and yeah, going right. A game like Catan, uh, it's cutthroat. It's, 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 <laughs> it's it, it ends friendships. It, you know, it, I'm trying it, to find a, a polite way to put it, but uh, um, it's cutthroat. Call it, yeah, it can be, kill your friends basically. It, it can it's be pretty like, cutthroat. Yeah, yeah, but and, but something like pandemic is is very cooperative, and you feel like you've really done accomplished something, something together, right? right. Yeah. Because it's, or it's a, it's a in pandemic, game. you often feel like you all collectively fail to do something because pandemic right. is it's really easy to not. I played a game of pandemic that went for about three turns and. Uh, the, the whole planet was decimated by disease. Uh, it was one of the shortest games of any game I've ever played. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it's hard to be mad because, uh, okay, it's just part of the fun. Now, Josh, I have another scenario for you. Okay. Now, when we're, whenever I think of board games, I think of kind of, you know, maybe three or four people, maybe even more around a table, rolling dice, playing cards. Is there a game that's just maybe meant for two people? There are a lot of games that... Um, are often often are designed for more, um, but can be played with two players. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's just as easy. A ticket to ride, you could probably do it with two players. Um, there are some other that it works better if it's three to five or six, mm -hmm. but um, does work well with two. Um, I have played. There's a really cute card game called Unstable Unicorns. And it's <laughs> now, say that again? What was Unstable it Unicorns. Okay. Bless you. Um, yeah. And the goal is to create a stable of different unicorns um, that you collect as cards. It's all card based. And it can be, I've played it with two players. There's the, the company that puts it out has on their website slight modifications that you have to make. Some cards that just aren't going to get played. Um, but it can be two players, and that's a lot of fun. That's great. And it's cute. And it's cute, and it involves unicorns. Right. How could you go wrong with... A game that everyone would want Unicorns with, you know, a bro unicorn with shades, and <laughs> fire-breathing unicorns, and... Now, aside from, aside from the games that you've already mentioned, Josh, do you have a personal favorite that you just kind of really hope that someone picks up and, and tr plays whenever you're there? Um, I have some personal... I mentioned Ticket to Ride. That's one of my favorites mostly because I've only lost one or two times. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good for my ego. 
Um, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Ooh, tell me about this one. Oh, it's it's this is a great one because it starts as cooperative. You're a group of each person has a different character they're playing, like the scientist, the psychic, uh, the the jock, the annoying little kid, mm-hmm. and you're all exploring a haunted house, and the house is laid out in tiles as you open doors. So, so it's not the, it's not a static game board. It changes every time you play. Time it's you play. A, the house is laid out differently. Okay, different rooms, sometimes on different floors, um, and. It's creepy. I wouldn't say it's for little kids unless the kids are already well acquainted with um, creepy stuff or if you're comfortable with your kids waking you up in the middle of the night because <laughs> they had a nightmare. Sure. Um, sure. But it, it's it's a very spooky house. You'll pick up artifacts. You'll encounter ghosts and sort of weird phenomena. And at what, every what, time, what point, at what point is it no longer compe- uh, co- collaborative? At, so every time you pick up some sort of occult object... Um, you have to roll the dice to see if that triggers an event. As more occult artifacts are found, the odds of triggering the event go up. Uh-huh. And eventually it's pretty much inevitable that you'll trigger the event. Uh-huh. The player whose turn it is that triggers the event becomes the traitor. Okay. And there's a whole book of scenarios that depending on which artifact was found and at which point, in which room it triggers a specific scenario. So I played a game where I was the annoying little kid and I was um, in league with some sort of rat demons and I could command (laughs) hordes of rats to go after the other. And at that point it becomes competitive where all the other players are still collaborating with each other. Right. Usually it's just, let's get out of the house. At that point it's get out of the house so we can live. Um, And the one player is now the enemy that's competing with everyone else. Uh, I played one where one of the players was uh, bitten by a vampire, and suddenly he became a vampire trying to wake up Dracula. Uh, And so I've never played the same scenario more than once, but that that makes it a really great game for replay. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, I don't even know how many different – the book is pretty thick. Yeah. Um, And and the only – caveat is that it can sometimes take a long time sure um depending on how (laughs) well you roll to keep the bad event from triggering um it can go on for quite a while and um now how long how long does your your average board game take is it something that can you knock it out in 20 minutes is it like a couple of hours or does it just depend on the game it really depends on the game okay um, some of them can go pretty quickly. Um, like I said, that uh, pandemic game that went for three <laughs> rounds before the world was decimated by, before it went all Stephen King, The Stand. But sure. most of those um, last for quite a while. Betrayal at House on the Hill, I think the last time I played it, it went at least an hour and a half. Yeah. And Catan, Catan you're, you're in for a good couple hours. Uh, the last time I played Catan, it went on for hours, yeah. and the one experienced Catan player was so upset because she should have, the rest of us were really inexperienced at it, and she should have beaten us easily, <laughs> but we were so bad at playing it that we were blocking her from winning just by our own ineptitude. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, then uh, we, we said pandemic, and so that can take a long time. Um, Pandemic can, yeah, go really quickly or it can take quite a while. Um, 
and Ticket then, to Ticket to Ride. That's a pretty good like an hour, hour and a half. Hour, maybe even a half yeah, do you, hour. Now, I, I know that, again, most of the time whenever I think board games, I think of like a, a, a board, a layout. Is there like card games, something that you can do that's very portable? Um, there, are, uh, there are card games. Love Letters is a good one. And there are a bunch of different varieties. And that's actually a pretty quick game to play. Huh. Um Flux is a that sure. can go anywhere from ten minutes to over an hour of playing, depending on. It's a card game that starts with one very simple rule of draw one card, play one card. But a lot of the cards have different rules, so the rules are constantly, constantly changing. changing. You have different goals that, um, in order to win, you have to meet that goal. You've got um, sometimes it'll suddenly make it where you have to draw. Four four cards every round. Sometimes you have to draw five cards and play every card in your hand every round. And you can get rid of rules. You can create new rules. Um, So it can really, and there are all kinds of themed. There's Star Trek themed, there's zombie themed, there's pirate, there's a Monty Python themed flux. Um, Very popular with librarians, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Uh, And there are also some games that are just dice. Zombie dice is a good one where you're just, It's, you're all zombies, you're trying to eat people, um, and you're rolling dice to keep from being killed off. Fascinating. Um, so one, one uh, fun card game I should pass along to you in case uh, you've never played it is called uh, Bears vs. Babies. Have you heard of this game? No. I've heard of it. Okay. Is this appropriate for a podcast, it, Dave? Sure, sure it is. It's, it's actually... Uh, pretty appropriate for like a teenage audience um but you're the the babies are evil so it's okay that the bears are against them Um, okay but you're you're basically creating these different with cards laying down a head a torso uh, appendages and all of that and Mm -hmm. each have different tools and at some point um you are going to battle uh, against uh, with your assembled uh being sometimes it's a bear being or whatever but uh, it's a pretty fun game okay um, easy there, to learn there are some really good um if you remember magic the gathering yes. the card deck building game there are some really good deck building games that unlike magic the gathering or pokemon you don't have to buy more and more cards and you don't have cards that are so rare that they cost tons and tons of dollars to purchase or it's all within the game you have a set deck of cards and you're building your own deck sometimes they're competitive where you're all building decks to fight each other in some sort of fantasy setting or um i've played a and i'm blanking on the name right now but a um it's a collaborative um cooperative deck building game where you're in colonial America fighting supernatural monsters. <laughs> so you're all trading cards to like, I've got this card that will help uh, against the vampire. Well, I've got this. And so you can, there are certain rounds where you can trade cards to help other people fight off the big bads or, you know, the minor horde of bats. Um, so yeah, there are some really good card games that you get. They have, again, a lot of replay value because you're building different decks. Um, but it, you don't have to spend a lot of money to play the games. Excellent. Well, whether you're burnt out on books because school is coming to an end or you've just read everything that you can read and you just need a little bit of a break, hopefully you had some good suggestions on uh, something you can move on to to read or you should consider playing a game. Um, 
go to the Joko Library website, explore our uh, catalog, and find something unique and new to you, or take a look at our events ca uh, calendar and find a tabletop board game night and show up, have some fun. For more episodes of Did You Hear, go to the Johnson County Library website, jocolibrary.org slash didyouhear.